God has laid upon our heart is let the wind blow. Let the wind blow. And tonight, by God's grace, tomorrow night and Saturday, we're going to be looking at this topic, exploring it, looking at it from different angles. Let the wind blow. Let us say a word of prayer as we get into God's word. Father, we honor you and magnify you. We thank you, O God of heaven. Let the wind blow, Heavenly Father. Over these days, let the wind blow. Amen. Let it be every, evident to every one of us that the wind has blown. Amen. We thank you forevermore. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let the wind blow is our theme, our title. So that's our general theme for the next days. Uh, tonight I'm going to be speaking on the subtitle for tonight, which is titled, Why Should the Wind Blow? Why Should the Wind Blow? Let the Wind Blow is the theme for the conference. But tonight's teaching is titled, Why Should the Wind Blow? Before I get into that, let's just do some very simple definitions. What does it mean when we say, let the wind blow? When the wind blows, what does it mean? The wind blowing signifies a significant move of the Holy Spirit that brings about natural effect. A significant move of the Holy Spirit that does something on the earth. When the Holy Spirit moves significantly and something changes, something shifts on the earth, we call that the wind has blown. Okay? Now, it's important we establish then at the beginning here that when the wind blows, it can blow in two directions. In other words, you can say that there are two types of dimensions of the wind blowing or two consequences of the wind blowing. The first one you see in the book of Exodus chapter 10, verse 13. Exodus, the 10th chapter and the 13th verse. And this is what it says, And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt. And the Lord, notice it says, The Lord, the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that night. And when it was morning, the consequence of this wind that the Lord brought was that locusts came all over the land. So this is the dimension, this is the type of the wind. The consequence in this instance was that locusts came over the land and destroyed the land. But in verse 19, the second type, or the second consequence, verse 19 of Exodus chapter 10 says, And the Lord turned a mighty strong wind which took away the locusts. So the second consequence, the locusts were taken away. The first consequence, the locusts were brought in. That's the bad thing. But the second consequence, the locusts were taken away. That's the good thing. So we can see that this wind can flow in two directions. So that the wind blows does not necessarily mean that it is positive. It can be positive for somebody. It can be negative for other people. The wind blows. We need to understand that when the wind blows, there can be two dimensions of that. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's the first thing we need to establish. The second thing we need to establish quickly is the intensity of the wind. Not every wind is the same level. Right now, as you and I are sitting down here right now, wind is blowing. But the wind is blowing, we're comfortable, we're still sitting down. I've been talking of naturally now. Not every wind is the same level. In the natural, winds have categories in the natural. When a storm is arising, people that categorize storms, they categorize it, they start by calling it a tropical depression. And the tropical depression moves to the next stage, it's called a tropical storm. Then from this tropical storm, it becomes a hurricane. Level one, level two, level three, level four, level five. So even in the natural, you could see that the intensity of wind is measured and graded. It's amazing that it is the same thing spiritually also. So I'm going to show you four levels. I mean, there are more in the Bible, but just for brevity of the time we have. I'm going to show you four levels of the intensity of the wind. The intensity of the wind. Because when the wind blows, it needs to blow at the intensity that is required to shift what needs to shift in our lives. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Amen. So the first one is a strong wind. Strong wind. Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Okay, we already know that the wind, there's wind that will blow, but Exodus 14, verse 21 says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused to go back by a strong east wind. A strong wind. That's the first level I want to share. The second level is 
a very strong wind. So the first level is a strong wind. The second level is a very strong wind. That is in Exodus chapter 10, verse 13. Exodus chapter 10. Uh, sorry, verse 19. Exodus chapter 10, verse 19. Tells us something called very strong wind. Okay? Okay? You can see that. Very, or this one says, this translation says, a mighty strong west wind. So it's, it's a strong wind. There's a very strong wind. Now we have to understand something about the scripture. Every word in scripture, particularly in the translations of the Bible that we call formal translations, every word matters. Okay? Every word matters in the Bible. Okay? Translations of the Bible that are formal translations are like the English Standard Version, ESV, the King James Version, NASB, and NKJV too. Those are formal translations that every single word matters. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yeah. All right. I'm not suggesting that other translations of the Bible are not good, but they are dynamic. They are what is called dynamic translations like the NLT. Okay? They are dynamic translations, and there are other translations that are paraphrases, like the message translation. They're just a paraphrase. Okay? All right. So apart from the strong wind, the very strong wind, we also have the mighty rushing wind. Acts of Apostles chapter 2, verse 2. So it's not only a mighty wind, it's a rushing wind. So this is talking about intensity. We're still looking at the intensity of the wind. Mighty rushing wind. The sound came from heaven of a rushing, mighty wind. Okay? And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Number four, the Bible also talks about something called a burning wind. So this is not just a wind now. It's also a wind that also carries heat. It carries fire in Psalm 11 verse 6. And here he's talking about the enemies. He said, upon the wicked will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind. So we have strong wind, we have very strong wind, we have mighty rushing wind, and we have a burning wind. Are you with me tonight? <clears throat> so we're looking at, these are all talking about the different levels of intensity of the wind. But the question then we want to ask ourselves, which is the title of this particular teaching for tonight, is... Why should the wind blow? Why is it necessary for the wind to blow? Why should I ask God? Why should I pray that God should allow the wind, the wind of the Holy Spirit, to blow in my life? Why should the wind blow? Now, very simply, the answer I want to proffer tonight, I want to give tonight, is this. We need the wind to blow to assist us in our destiny. Somebody say destiny. Destiny. Please say it again, destiny. destiny. The reason why we need the wind to blow, there might be many reasons, but one principal reason why we need the wind to blow is to assist you and I in our destiny. Our destiny cannot be fulfilled without the wind blowing. And we're going to show that tonight in Scripture. Our destiny cannot be fulfilled without the wind blowing. We can make a living, but we can never make a difference without the wind. We can work and make a living, get some money, put it in our pocket, have a house, have some kids, you know, go to work, come back from work, put on the TV, watch the TV, drive, take a car, maintain the car, travel once in a while. That's making a living. That's not making a difference. But for our lives to count, for our lives to count, for our lives to have an impact, for our lives to be vessels, for our lives to be channels through which there is a positive change, that's called destiny. For that to happen, the wind must assist us. So, talking about destiny then, it's important that we look at what does it mean? What does destiny mean? Because we have so many things that go on in people's mind when, people's mind when the word destiny comes forth. Some people think of different, different things. So let's look at what it really means as, as far as the Bible is concerned. Number one, destiny means a concluded plan in the mind of God before you and I were born. Before you and I were born, Destiny is the plan God has for us that he concluded in his mind. And it was that plan that actually inspired our creation. So God, destiny is the purpose in which God had in mind before he put something in place for us to be born. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, before I formed you, I knew you. That's what God told Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That means Jeremiah was in existence before he was in the womb. 
And before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet. So what he would do in life was chosen before he was born. That's destiny. Are you with me, church? So that's destiny. The plan that was concluded in the mind of God before we were born. Number two, what is destiny? Destiny is the plan of God that is settled in heaven for us. The plan of God is based on his word. It is settled in heaven for us. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled. It is settled in heaven. In other words, this plan is concluded. This plan is defiled. This plan is in heaven. It is sorted out for us. So when Jesus came, Jesus spoke about it as an example. When Jesus came, it will interest you and I to know that when Jesus came, he did not just decide what to do. In the book of John, chapter 6, verse 38, John chapter 6 and verse 38. Look at what Jesus said. Let's look at what Jesus said. He said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the person that sent me. Can you see that? Jesus said, I didn't come here now just to be making my own choices. I came here according to a plan. I'm here running a plan that was concluded in heaven. So where did Jesus find the plan? How can you find the plan? Jesus tells us that. Or the book of Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 to 7. Tells us where the plan is. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what the writer of the book of Hebrews said. Therefore, when he came into the world, he's talking about Jesus now. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but the body you have prepared for me. Keep going now. He said, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you have no pleasure. Keep going. This, then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will. So there's, there are things that are written of you in the book, in the Bible. There are things that are written of you that God wants you to do. That God wants you to, how God wants you to live your life. And how God wants your life to turn out. It's written in this book. How God wants you to go from glory to glory. Can I hear an email from somebody? Amen. How God wants you to your path to shine brighter and brighter. Amen. It's all written in this book and that is destiny. Listen, destiny is the only part in our lives that has unlimited promotion. Every other type of promotion is limited by the organization. It's only our destiny that has an unlimited level of promotion. Destiny is what makes us live after we are dead. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Amen. Destiny is what we do that has an impact. Where after we are gone, they still have an impact. Where we worked, how much we earn is not remembered. What is remembered is the impact we had. The impact our lives had. The, the lives that our lives touched. That is what destiny is. Can I hear an amen? amen. Alright. So this is what destiny is. However, talking about this destiny then, God has designed the destiny in such a way that the first and principal person that we will need for this destiny to be fulfilled is God himself. We will need God. We will need God. Moses was a man in Exodus chapter 2 that was found by the banks of the river. As at that time, in Exodus chapter 1, the Bible says there was a law in Egypt as at that time that every male child that is born by the Jews should be killed. But if it's a female child, they should leave the child alone. Why? Because the leader of the land of Egypt, called the Pharaoh, was afraid that in time of war, the male children that have been born would join with his enemies and they would escape and defeat him. So he was afraid. So he put in the policy for selective destruction. But the Bible says Moses was born in this season. And when Moses was born, his mother saw him. The, the way the Bible puts it is that the Bible says, and saw that he was a beautiful child. But what it actually means in the Hebrew is that he saw that this child was different. There was something different about this child. There was destiny. So he, he said, no, I'm not going to release my child to be killed. So she kept the child. But after three months, she couldn't keep the child again. Are you still with me? Yeah. She couldn't keep the child. So she put the child, she made a little, um, um, small little boat or small little, um, I don't know, what do we call it? Basket. Thank you so much. Basket. You know, and, and, and dubbed it with asphalt and, and, you know, and you know, some, some, some material and to make it waterproof. And put it by the bank of the river where the daughter of Pharaoh comes to bathe. In chapter 2 of Exodus, the Bible says the daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe one day. Coincidentally, or, or by providence, Moses was crying and picked up Moses and said, oh, she knew this is one of the sons of the Hebrew children, but she did not kill him. Anyway, brought Moses into the palace. And Moses was raised like Pharaoh's son. 
So you could say that Moses was trained, the Bible tells us he was trained, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Acts chapter 7 verse 22. He was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So he knew their ways. He, had, he was groomed to occupy the highest position in Egypt. However, somebody say however. however. That was not destiny. He was making a living. He was comfortable. Everything was fine. But something was calling him on the inside. You know, he was feeling a sense of dissatisfaction. You know, he, he had on the, on the, you know, this is where you are, you get to in life whereby you tell somebody that, I, I, I sense I should go and do this. And people say, well, you, 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 even sometimes you can't even articulate or put in clear words what you want to do. But you just feel a sense of dissatisfaction. And people are saying to you, but why are you dissatisfied? Why are you dissatisfied? You've got a good house. You've got a good family. You have your nice two or three cars. You, you go on holiday when you want to go on holiday. Things are working for you. Why are you dissatisfied? Well, the reason is because on the inside your heart, the very reason why you were born has not been done. Your career choice, what you trained for in the university, what you're doing right now, it's all part of the training for destiny. But you've not started destiny. Destiny is the only place whereby when you're doing it, you're fulfilled. You have a deep sense of satisfaction on the inside. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Yeah. That's right. You know, one of the amazing things I found out about destiny, destiny is the only work you do that you're not tired. Every other work you do, you're tired. But when it comes to the, the work of destiny, you can't be tired. You can, you can, you can need rest, but not tired. There are two different, two different things. You might need rest, just to rest your body, and you continue again. But not that you're tired. The, the tiredness that comes with the mind and emotions that people are completely fanned out. You can't do that. That can't happen with destiny. Because there's an internal surge of energy. Are you still with me? Amen. So, however, in this part of destiny, you and I are going to need assistance. Moses ran to the quarters of the Israelites. He saw an Egyptian. He saw, two, um, uh, he saw, he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite. He killed the Egyptian without thinking. And buried the man under the sand. He did something, an urge came into him. The following day, he saw two Israelites fighting. And because of destiny, he went to them and said, So stop fighting. And they said, Do you want to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So he ran away. Because he was trying to fulfill destiny in the energy of his flesh without the wind blowing. You and I need this assistance. That's why we need the, the wind to blow. Listen very carefully about the issue of destiny. Because this is the area God called me to teach on destiny. When you start out in destiny, please remember, your God is going to lead you on the journey. Destiny is a journey. Destiny is a journey. We call, the desti we call where you're going destination. But destiny is the journey. As you take steps in this journey, you're making progress. Are you following? Yes. But from time to time, there will be obstacles that you have to overcome. Those obstacles you have to overcome on the path of your destiny is why one of the reasons why you need the wind to blow. Those obstacles are designed, someone say designed. designed. They are designed by God not to respond to your natural talent. I don't know if you're hearing me now. Those obstacles are designed by God. So God has given you natural talents, he's given you grace, he's given you giftings. But if you try and use those natural talents and giftings alone, alone, to tackle the obstacle, it will be failure. Because the obstacles are designed not to respond to natural talent only. They're designed to respond to wind blowing. They can only be removed by wind. Jesus Christ said, very simply, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 42. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 42. Jesus Christ said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Let us go to the other side. That's it. Let's go to the other side. That's the journey. And he got into the boat and he was sleeping. And the Bible says there was a mighty storm. Now, this, uh, the people that were in the boat, at least we know. We know there were 12 disciples. We know from scripture, at least four of them were experienced fishermen. The sons of Zebedee. Is that correct? Yeah. John and James. Then Peter and Andrew. We know at least there were four, four fishermen out of the 12. The rest might have been. Some of them might have been. But we know for sure. Now, they, these are people that are used to storms. They've seen storms before. And these storms normally will respond either to your patience or respond to other devices that you have. But this particular storm, once Jesus said, let's go to the other side, this particular storm couldn't respond to everything they knew how to do. This particular storm could only respond to the supernatural. And when Jesus stood up and said, when Jesus stood up, he said, be still, and the storm was still, the next question Jesus asked them was a supernatural question. 
was the question to elicit the supernatural. He said, where is your faith? He didn't say, where is your talent? He didn't say, where is your effort? He didn't ask them, why were you lazy? Because he knew that they were not lazy. They were still talented, but their talent and their hard work could not solve the problem. The problem could only be solved by supernatural means. Another wind had to blow to overcome this wind that is blowing. Are, are you following this now? So on our path in destiny, there are going to be obstacles. So, and these obstacles, please listen very carefully. There is a tendency quickly for us to see an obstacle and think, oh, he's always bad, he's bad, he's bad. We have to understand that some of these obstacles, some, some of the obstacles, some of the obstacles are put there by God. Exodus chapter 13, let's start from verse 17. So when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, Exodus, the 13th chapter and the 17th verse, let's start from 17. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had led the people go, that God, now you see the word God now, this is God now, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. <coughs> but God, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see one return to Egypt. So this is God leading them. You agree with that? Verse 18 says, So God led them around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Of the Red Sea. God, God Almighty is the one that led the children of Israel to the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up. And I like this. You know when God is leading them because everything God does is decently and in order. So they went out in orderly ranks. And God is leading them and they're going out in orderly ranks. They had the flags of their different tribes, and they were all going out in other lyrics, and things were good. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. All right. So things were going, going on well. Keep going, please. Keep going. So Moses obviously took the bones of Joseph and went with that. Now, when you jump to Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, let's start from verse 4. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4. Remember, we're looking at the topic. <laughs> Why should the wind blow? And we said the wind should blow to assist us in destiny. Exodus chapter 4, God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Then they did so. Keep going then. Keep going, please. So Pharaoh got his chariots ready and started pursuing the children of Israel. Now, you remember the children of Israel were facing the Red Sea. They were walking off on foot. The Jesus were riding chariots and coming behind them. And when he goes to verse 10, the Bible says, the, when, the, when the children of Israel saw the Egyptians coming, the Bible says they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, you please understand this very carefully. In this part of destiny, there was a Red Sea in front of them. There was the Egyptian army behind them. The person that led them to this Red Sea is not the devil. The person that led them to the Red Sea is not Moses. The person that led them to this Red Sea is God. Okay? I, I can understand that part. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to deal with that part. Now, but the person that also went to steer up Pharaoh to leave his palace and follow me to the Red Sea is also God. Are you, are you, are you hearing me now? I'm still trying to deal. I'm still trying to deal with the Red Sea in front of me. This is a big problem already. I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to solve this one. Now, I, now I, I'm, Pharaoh is now coming behind me. I thought I left Pharaoh in Egypt. But God put me in front of the Red Sea, and God went to steal up Pharaoh. I don't know if you've ever been in such a situation, but that's what destiny does to you. Destiny brings you if face to face with an obstacle you can't solve, and steers up other things to, to put pressure on you behind you. And that's why you need the wind to blow. So the Bible says they cried out to God. But you know, not only did they cry to God, this is amazing. And this is where sometimes, you know, when we read these stories, we quickly make fun of the children of Israel and say, what's wrong with these guys? Can't they just trust God? Well, all we need to do is just look at our own lives. Now, you have to notice that these people were praying because they cried out to God. Verse 10 says, but keep going, verse 11, and see how they were. So they said to Moses, they cried out to God, and they went to Moses. And they said, because there were no graves in Egypt. That's why you have brought us to this wilderness to die. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Now, you have to understand, who brought them out of Egypt? God. Who brought them to the Red Sea? God. Who steered up Pharaoh to pursue them? God. Moses had no decision in this. But the people went and they were blaming Moses. And look at what they said. They continued saying, verse 12. Keep going, please. They said, is, not, is this not what we told you in Egypt? 
let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It will be better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. So let's stop there. This is the big question of destiny. Sometimes in life, when people get stirred up about life, about destiny, and about the deep desires of their heart, and they want to do it, and they step out based on that desire, and they face a challenge, one of the first things that happens to them is that they feel it is better to leave the path of destiny and continue doing something else. It is always better. This is the test everybody must pass. When you feel it is better. By the special grace of the Almighty God, I went to university and I trained as a pharmacist. I can tell you this. When I started out as a full-time pastor, <laughs> for the first six months, first one year, it was way better to continue doing, to go back to do my pharmacy than to do my to be pastor. It was way better. It was hundred, not hundred. It was infinitely better financially. It was way better in terms of respect. Nobody respected. As another time, 2002, 2002, nobody respected pastors in Canada. Particularly pastors of my pigmentation. Nobody respected us. And when you now say you're a full-time pastor, it's like a death sentence. I'm telling you a true, true life story. It was bad. Just so I'm talking of 2002. I became a full-time pastor in 2002. So it's been over 17 years now. It was way better. Some of my friends and colleagues that we went to school together that also studied pharmacy, they came to me individually, spoke to me over a period of time. I didn't listen. I told them, no, I feel this thing is my destiny. Then they, brought, they came together as a delegation one day, and they spoke to me. I'm telling you. I, you know, I was invited to a friend's, one of our colleagues' birthday party, and I went there. And I said, it was a birthday party, and you know, they said, Pastor, pray. I prayed, and I sat down, you know, take a drink. You know, it was all my friends, and we're chatting. And towards the, all of a sudden, I don't know how the conversation changed into pharmacy versus pastor. <laughs> and they were encouraging me and encouraging me to quit. The pressure was a lot on me. The pressure was a lot on me. And you have to understand, please, also that there was nothing happening in the natural in our ministry that God has entrusted into my hand as at that time that made it a sensible decision to leave my pharmacy profession. It didn't make sense, but it made spirit. I was the only one on the inside of me that knew that this thing I'm doing is the right thing. And I found it difficult to communicate it. Because sometimes it's difficult to articulate destiny. That I'm doing the pharmacy profession. I practice pharmacy in different places in London, England, in Nigeria, on different levels in the hospital, in the commercial sector. I've succeeded in it, but I did not feel fulfilled. But in doing this one, I was feeling fulfilled. Hallelujah. I was feeling fulfilled. I was feeling fulfilled. I felt this is the reason God created me. Today now, not even today, way, 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 way back. Many, many years ago, over 10 years ago now, one of those friends of mine was turning 40. Many, over 10 years ago. And again, I was invited again. This time I had to come and pray for him. So one of the MCs, the MC, the person that was going to be the um, um, master of ceremony, thank you, sir on that day, happened to be one of those people that was in the room on that day. He was one of the people that was really seriously encouraging me that I, I have to go back to my pharmacy profession. So he was to introduce me to come and pray for the family. There were many people that were very bad, probably about 200 people. And when he was going to introduce me, he said, there and then, and I was surprised what he was saying. This was 2008. He said, first and foremost, I want to apologize to this man of God that I want to bring up. He said, because we were one of those people that told him not to do what he's doing today. He was saying this publicly. He said, but I'm grateful to God that he did not listen to us. Wow. He said, and he said, so he apologized and all of that. Then he repeated one of the key stories on that day, how they put so much pressure on me. And I had to tell them that if this is the last thing I will do, I will follow destiny. He said, this man told us this on that day. We thought he was crazy. He said, but today now we know he's not crazy. This was 2008. Then he invited me. And I came and I prayed. Let me say something to you. When I started out, there were many obstacles. Thank God the wind blew. There were still, there's still obstacles today, but thank God the wind is blowing. So this wind blows. This wind blows. When, they, when you face the Red Sea and there's, there's Pharaoh behind you, that's when you need the big wind. So what happened then? In Exodus chapter 14, please listen to it very carefully. Verse 14. God said to the children of Israel, and this is the, always the amazing thing. Moses said to them, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And in verse 15, God responded, keep going, and the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell them to go forward. And let me, let me explain something to you here. 
We're talking about why should the wind blow? And we said the wind should blow to assist us in destiny. You remember? Yeah. When it has to do with destiny, you never go backward. Amen. When it has to do with destiny, you can only go forward. God has no reverse gear when it comes to destiny. Amen. There's only one gear. The gear is forward. Even if there's an obstacle in front of you, God's word is clear. You go forward. In destiny, you continue. You go forward. You might be facing challenges, facing obstacles, and all of that. You keep on going forward. Why? God says go forward because he has anticipated you will need the wind. And he has prepared the wind. And he knows that as you go forward, the wind will blow. But the wind will not blow if you don't go forward. Are you hearing me? Okay, so let's look at this story that we're looking at relative or in relation to the wind. How does the wind blow in? How, what does it have to do with this story? So when you get to Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, Exodus 14, 21, you will see that the Bible says, Moses lifted up his hand. And the Lord caused the sea to go back. But by, by what means? By a strong east wind. And that east wind was so powerful that not only did it divide the sea, he kept the sea divided and dried the land at the same time. <laughs> and all of this, all of this, you know, Moses stretched forth his hand and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, within 24 hours. Within 24 hours, theologians tell us that over 2 million people crossed that sea. Are you still with me? Yes, Are you still with me? Yes, crossed that sea and God kept the sea apart and dried the land because the wind blew. And when the children of Israel went through, let's look at it. Keep going, please. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them. Listen, this is what happens in destiny. The Egyptians pursued them because they thought it was a natural phenomenon. When they saw the Red Sea part, they thought, ah, it's just a natural phenomenon. And that's what happens in destiny. When you are on the path of destiny and the wind of the spirit is assisting you. Other people looking at you from the outside will think what they're doing is easy. And the reason is because they can judge your talent. They know they are more talented than you. They know they are more gifted than you. They can, but they don't understand that what is keeping the sea parted is supernatural. It's supernatural. So the Bible says the Egyptians attempting to do the same thing, they drowned in Hebrews 11.29. But here, keep going. It says, so they, it pursued them Keep going. Now it came to pass in the morning watch. The Lord looked upon the army of Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Keep going, please. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. Then the people said, let us flee because God is fighting for them against the Egyptians. And that's what God is going to do for you tonight in yeah. Jesus' name. God will fight for you in Jesus' name. Yeah. Listen, you choosing to go on the path of destiny is the only thing that guarantees God will fight for you. Sometimes I hear Christians say, God, no, because if you, when you go on the path of destiny, that's the only thing that guarantees that God will fight for you. God fights for you. Why? Because God has vested interest. Because when it comes to the issue of destiny, the primary beneficiary is not you. See? Yeah, because the Bible says, let your light so shine that men may see and glorify your Father. So God has a stake in you succeeding. That's the word for somebody. God has a stake in you succeeding. That's the word for somebody. God has something at stake in you succeeding. That's the word for somebody. God wants you to succeed. God wants you to succeed. He has something at stake. That's why he fights for you. He fights for you by sending the wind to assist your destiny. To remove obstacles you cannot remove on your own. And when you clear the path, what secures you after you have crossed the Red Sea and the Red Sea closes behind you, is that God knows nobody else can cross that sea without his own assistance. So it's guaranteed that Pharaoh will not follow you again. I'm praying for somebody here tonight. Whatever battles you have faced till you got to this point today, you will not see the battle again. Amen. The wind of God will blow tonight. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the year 2003, as a church, we bought a property it was about a million dollars, 900 and something, something thousand um, in Mississauga at that time. So we decided to, it was a socks factory. So, you know, uh, just bare brick and everything. Not beautiful at all, not nice at all. 
So we decided to renovate it. And you know, I, I, and this is important for, for one to say this. I was as green as you can be. I see many pastors today that have started, and I see how, how skillful and how, how, what, what the level of expertise they have and how they have everything under control. I was not like that at all. I was very green. I did not know my left from my right. I, just, I, 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 I was just a man that was just doing things, quote and unquote, by faith. So I called the leadership meeting and I said, we're going to renovate this place, as you know. We called an architect. They gave us the plan. I like the plan. I, so I, one of our sisters in church was working in the company that they were doing design and build. So I said, speak to your company. Let's see how much it's going to cost. So they brought the bill. When they brought the bill, I said, ah, I don't know if we can handle this. Then somebody spoke in the meeting. I said, Pastor, you're the one that has been teaching us faith. This thing should be by faith. I said, it's true. It should be by faith. <laughs> I'm telling you a true life story. God Almighty is my witness. We did not know where we were going to move to before they started the renovation. We did not have any amount of money. I had done some calculations in my head that, and I, I want to tell you because I want to be completely, can I be open with you completely? We had gotten a mortgage when we bought the building with um, a credit union that gave us $600,000. $600,000. I want to show, I want to share this testimony with you so that you can see, understand how wind can blow and assist somebody in destiny. Even when the person doesn't really know what they're doing, like me. We got a mortgage from, the, from, from a, um, a credit union, $600,000. We bought the property for nine hundred and twenty-five or something like that. And so the rest we had put in our own money. So I, I, so but this was 2003. So this was now 2004. My own, in my own mind, I thought that the building would have uh, appreciated seriously so that we can refinance. Are you following? Refinance, pull some money out, and use it for the reconstruction. That's what I thought. Since when we bought the building, they gave us um, 65% of the value or so. Was that 600000 something around that. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, when they did the appraisal, the building has not appreciated. So, I, 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 some of me, myself, and some of our leaders, we signed this contract with this company to come and design and build. They told us it was going to take, after that time, maybe $700,000, something like that. I told them, God is able. God is able. Hallelujah. <laughs> I sighed. The man asked me, said, he said, Pastor, do you have your financing all in place? I said, of course. Ah. Of course, everything is fine. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. He said, um, where the church is moving to, do you have all that also in place? I said, I said, no. I said if, don't, if, I, if everything is off, will I sign? Don't worry, I signed. <laughs> I signed, but you see, God was backing it up. The fall, that same week I signed, I signed on a Friday. By the following Friday, we found the place we're going to move to. In 1515 Britannia Road. I'm telling you, true life story. We moved. And all this while, I thought we were going to get some refinancing from Royal Bank. And the process was going on very well. They were going to give us some money, only for them to come back to us around mid-November and tell us that I've never had anything like that before, and told us that they can't give us the money because we don't have enough equity in the building. I don't understand what they were saying originally. Somebody explained it to me. I said, wow. I said, so what do we have to do now? They said, because the risk department says that we must have enough equity. So there are two things we must do. Number one, they said, the value of the building after construction must be at least $2 million. So that they will give us 60%, which will be $1.2 million. Are you following the story? Yes. So if they give us $1.2 million, we'll pay off the credit, you know, $600,000. The remaining $600,000 will do a lot in the, in the, in the construction. And how much the money, amount of money will be paying Royal Bank every month? It's similar to what we're paying the credit, you know, because the interest rate of Royal Bank was lower. Do you understand? Yes. So I said, okay, if this thing is going to be two million. So they got to me an appraiser person, the appraiser recommended by the bank. Appraiser person came. When they did the whole appraisal, I told the man, I said, please, this thing has to be two million. Do you understand? <laughs> you know, and this, <laughs> this man happened to be an Indian man. So I was excited. I said, you know, you're an immigrant. You understand that immigrants were trying to, you know, make it in this country. It's not easy. The man said, I know it's not easy. Only for the man to come back with the appraisal to what? 1.8 million. I said, but I told you 2 million. Why are you doing this to me? The man said, well, so what am I going to do? One day I got to the site. I tell you a true life story. One day I got to the site. As I got to the site, I saw the people, the con con contractors were taking the equipment. 
and leaving the side. I went to the first one and said, excuse me, what, what's going on? Why are you taking equipment? He said, because you cannot pay. I went, it was a Saturday, I remember. I went to the second one and I said, why are you taking equipment? He said, because you know, there's no payment. He said, we're going to put a lien on the building. Ah, I got scared. So they moved away. I remember clearly, I went into the, this little cab, cabin that they put in construction site. It was my office. I went in there. I was trying to prepare a sermon for Sunday morning. I went in there. I lay flat on the floor. I now started telling God all the reasons why I didn't want to be a pastor. <laughs> can, I, can I be very honest and free with you? I said, this is the reason why I don't want to be a pastor. Because now I'm the only one left now. And I'm not going to be living in this house. This is not my house. This is your house. Now I've got to deal with all of this. These people are taking all of this in. And as I was speaking and speaking, and you know, it was, a, it was a mixture of prayer plus complaining plus reporting God to God. Are you? <laughs> it doesn't look like you. <laughs> I'm trying to show you how God can assist somebody in destiny. While I was doing all of that, I had God speak to me. It was strange. It was like somebody was in the room. I had his voice clearly. I, I looked back. I had. You have not run out of... You know, because I was saying all of this, then I, I, I got to the point I said, now we have run out of money. And I had God clearly say to me, you have not run out of money, you have run out of faith. When he said that, I stood up. It was like somebody was in the room. I said, run out of faith. I've never had anything like that in my life. Run out of faith. What does that mean, run out of faith? So I paced up and down the place. Paced up and down. Then God started giving me ideas of what to do. And he gave me a sermon. Expect a double miracle. I'm telling you, you know, people, church members that come, the, the, I mean, the news has spread quickly that we've run out of money and the construction people and the appraiser did not work and all of that. So everybody was expecting me to get to church on Sunday and share the bad news with them, which they already know, and confirm the bad news that this was happening and tell them how we're going to divide the carcass <laughs> of the church. They were shocked that Sunday morning. I was so pumped. I was so charged. The power of God so much hit the room. And I told them, expect a double miracle. I'm telling you a true life story. That Sunday service, we raised $164,000 in that one service from the same people. Because God told me, expect a double miracle. People were coming to me. I'm telling you, the church was less than 200 people at that time. People were coming to me and they were telling me, Pastor, don't worry, we're going to, we're going to Pastor, um, this is $25,000. Uh, I will need it later, later. Don't worry, Pastor, you can use it for now. Let's do, let's do this thing for God. In that service, Following one week, we've raised up to $300,000. Then the Royal Bank called me. That was the biggest shock for me. They called me and they told me, you know what, Pastor, this thing came in at one point, but we're still going to do the loan anyway. They called me on the 31st. We closed that transaction on the 31st of December, 2004. For you to know how big a miracle it was. Years later, when I was speaking to somebody in the Royal Bank about another project, the person told me that it's not, what I told them is not true, that it didn't happen, that it can never happen in the Royal Bank. So they went into their computer record, checked it, and came back and said, wow, that they don't know how it happened. Because the wind blew. You see, when the wind blows, it assists you on the path of destiny. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when you see somebody in destiny that have crossed from Egypt to the promised land on the path of destiny, understand it's not just talent. The wind has also blown. That's what I was just trying to explain to you. The wind of God has also assisted them to cross a path. And I'm praying for somebody today. No matter the obstacle you're going through, God has helped me before. He will help you also today. The God of the Bible will assist you in your dreams. In the name of Jesus Christ. We crossed over. We crossed over that challenge. 2005. Amazing. The church started doing great things. Great things. Great things started happening. The wind blew. The wind blew. When people ask me questions sometimes about church growth, well, I tell them, you know, I, I understand some things, but most of the things I don't understand. More, everything I have learned about church growth, I learned in hindsight. Everything I've learned about church growth, I learned it in hindsight. After it had happened is when I learned it. It's after it happened that I look back and say, but it's happened, but I don't know how, what happened. Then God explains to me what happened, what he prompted me to do, what he inspired me to do, and what he pushed me to do, and what he forced me to do, that, that brought about the growth. But not that, I, oh, I figured it out. I've not figured anything out. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. I've stumbled into many things. I, I look back and I say, wow, how did that work? When we started a young adult church that has seriously grown now, it was a complete mistake. 
<laughs> for you to understand how big a mistake it was, we had printed flyers because it was never supposed to be a church. It was supposed to just be a fellowship. We had printed flyers that they'll be meeting one Saturday in a month. The flyers were printed. I was only taking a walk, thanking God for a successful conference when God spoke to me and said, that thing will not be a Saturday program. It will be a church. A church. How? How is that going to work? I've never heard of it. I've never seen it. I don't know how it's going to work. He said, just turn the fourth service, because we're doing four services then. He said, just turn the fourth service into a young adult church. So I reprinted in flyers. I told the church, this thing's going to be a church. None of us have tried this thing before, but I know it's going to work, because God has already spoken to me. And that's it. And people showed up from everywhere. And it's been working. It's almost two years now. It's going to be two years in October. On 8th of October, it will be two years, and it's been working and getting stronger and stronger. It was later on that I was in the place, and people were talking about the dynamics of church. And they told me that the perfect time for young adults to come to church is 1 p.m. Wow. I never knew that. <laughs> and that was the time. So if you look at it now, you might think that, oh, this, I figured it out, or maybe, no, 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 no. And they, they were saying that research have shown that 1 p.m., that because they maybe, if they're in school, they've read overnight. Those that are not in school have gone to parties. Those that are not in parties are young adults, young professionals are sitting exams. They do many things uh, overnight. You know, those ones that are going out, they've taken their girlfriend out long, come back, sleep. They can't wake up very early in the morning so much. So if it's a service for 1 p.m., it's perfect timing for them. I said, unbelievable. And see what God has set up. I'm praying for you today that the wind will blow for you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Final thing I want to say is this, to summarize everything I've said today, we need the wind to blow to assist us in destiny, defined by just one phrase, make a way. When the wind blows for you, God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. That's what happens when the wind blows. When the wind blows for you, so please listen very carefully. This is what God brought me here to do. Somebody is here in this service today or listening to this somewhere through some means. You have reached a point where there seems to be no way. But when the wind blows, it opens a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. That is why for a Christian, you can never get to a point where you say there is no way. Because Jesus is, is the way. To say there is no way is to say there is no Jesus. You can say there is no way as far as I can see. That's correct. But there is a way as far as God can see. So if you are here today, you're facing a situation whereby it looks like there's no way. I want to assure you, as the wind blows over this period, in the name of Jesus, God will give you options. Amen. It will open up ways for you. Amen. It says, remember not the former things, not consider the things of old, for I will do a new thing. I will even make a way or a road in the wilderness. God will make a way for you. Amen. Where other people find no way, God will make a way for you. Amen. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. He will make a customized way for you. Amen. He will make a customized way for you. Amen. Three, very quickly, three different types of things that block our way. Number one, processes or policies. Policies of organizations, policies of government block our way. In this country, I mean, pastor is a great man of faith and all of that. You know, where we stay in Mississauga is a challenge. To have a church. And I'm sure the same thing, of course, in Barry. Because they'll be telling you about parking. Come on now. They tell you about parking. The, the laws and the bylaws is crazy. There are laws and laws and laws. And those laws are good, don't get me wrong, in some instances. But when it comes to church, the laws are bad. The laws are bad. They want to force a church out of their scope, and out of the best areas. Can I hear an amen? Amen. There are policies of government. There are in this country, there are examinations you write that have no pass mark. So it's after you've written the exams that they decide how many people will pass. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying now. Yeah, you write the exam, there's no pass mark. You can say, excuse me, if I score 70, am I okay? No, you don't, they're not okay. Somebody that scored less than you passed the exam last year. But this year you wrote it and there were, they, they, there were many people that passed the exam and they used a bell curve. They've determined that this year, no matter what happens, only 300 people will pass. So no matter what happens, it's 300 people. No matter how your score, they, they are controlling what happens in the nation by policies. So you've got to understand all of this. This happens in pharmacy. It happens when you write your CFA. It happens when you write your CPA exam. This is what happens. They control the profession by policies. They've controlled the housing by policies. When you buy your first house, 
they congratulate you. You buy a second house, they're watching you. You want to buy the third one as an investment, they're really watching you. Then they begin to introduce you, they begin to talk about things like anti-money laundering. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying now. Yeah, they begin to ask you about anti-money laundering. They begin to ask you all of questions that they weren't even asking you when you bought your first house because the heights they expect you to reach is just to buy one. They don't expect you to get into real estate investment because they know that the way this country has been designed has been designed for you to grow as the economy is growing. And the only way that happens is when you have properties. You can't, just, you can't take full advantage of the economy of this country without having properties. They know that. They designed it that way. So when you, know, when you want to start getting into properties, that's, you see a big fight. That's when Royal Bank will call you and say, what do you really say you are doing again? <laughs> you tell them, well, I said I made, you know, I made this. They say, okay, what's your income? Where are you getting money from? How is this? Is it not too risky? Policies, processes can keep people down. Second obstacle that the enemy uses against people, listen, is people. The enemy uses people against people. You have to be very careful. It was people that came to Moses and said to Moses, it is better for us to go back to Egypt. People, you have to be careful of Jonas around you. Listen very carefully. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good habits. And people cannot communicate evil to you when they're not close to you. Satan is always looking, so you have to guard your space. Guard your space. You have to pay attention to your space. Pay attention to your space. The people that have access to your space have access to your spirit. The people that have access to your space have access to your spirit. And anybody that has access to your spirit can control your life. If that's the only thing you gain from this conference, I'm telling you, it's perfect. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. One translation says, out of it flows, from out of it you control your life. So whoever has access to your heart, if you look at Solomon, Solomon married, loved many strange women, the Bible says. The, the key thing that those women did to Solomon, the Bible says that they turned his heart away from God. That's what he did. What the, key, what the key thing the woman did was that they turned his heart. And Solomon that went to Gibeon in 1 Kings chapter 3 and offered a thousand burnt offerings. Solomon that really, really honored God in chapter 3. The same Solomon was bowing down to idols. Went to idol temples and actually physically bowed down. Solomon occupies one key place in, in, in the Bible. And that place is very simple. Solomon is the one that prayed the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. Is one. The longest recorded prayer in the whole Bible was prayed by Solomon. Not Moses, not Nehemiah, not, not Daniel. It was Solomon that prayed it when he was dedicating the temple. That prayer is the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. Solomon that has that, that tells you that God was trying to tell us this man was a prayerful man. A prayerful man like that, that was anointed powerfully. Solomon occupies another critical position in the whole Bible. He was the only king that reigned when there was another king alive. David was still alive when he was reigning. He was occupying these key positions. And he went to the temple of idol because somebody shifted his heart. Whoever has access to your space have access to your spirit. When they have access to your spirit, they control your life. So you have to be careful who has access to your space. You have the right to control your space. Can I hear an amen? amen. amen. Control your space. Be careful who you are listening to. Don't feed on weed. Don't feed on weed. I'm not talking of marijuana only. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking of weeds, bad, bad stuff. Don't feed on weed. The third thing that tries to bring the certain uses as obstacle are principalities and powers. Now listen very carefully. There are, because we're going to pray against these three things tonight. Policies, people. We're not praying against people for people to die or anything. We're just praying for wisdom to know how to process people. Because some of us don't know how to process people in our lives. People that are also be acquaintances, we've made them confidence. And now they're hurting us deeply. We've shared innermost secrets with people that ought to be acquaintances, that people that we should see afar and say, hey, hi, how are you? You're okay, you're right, okay, and move on. People that we should form elevator relationships with. You know, when, you know when you're in the elevator, you only talk to people about the weather. Yeah, how is the weather? It's fine. You see the weather? Yeah, it's very sunny. Yeah, it's very sunny. And then you reach where you're going and everybody goes apart. It's only three seconds. We've turned them into bedroom friends. 
when we're talking to them about, hey, you see what happened to my husband, you see my marriage, you, see, you know, you say everything, then next, then one year later, you hear it, you see it on Facebook. Or they advise you against your destiny. Got to be very careful. We got to pray for wisdom to know how to process people. Number three, our principalities and powers. Policies, people, powers. Policies, people, power. We got to pray now. There are some circumstances in our lives that are manifesting like natural issues, but the root is supernatural. The root. It will look like natural. I faced a lot of those type of issues. They look like it's natural. And let me give you one of the ways you will quickly know. Once you're facing an issue that has a pattern, either a pattern in your own particular life or has a pattern between you and your siblings or a pattern in the sequence of your life, definitely it has a root in the supernatural. Are you hearing me? Once it has a pattern, there's a brother in our church, there has, his father gave birth to six sons. Six sons, sons. Not one of them has a child. Six sons, that's the pattern. Until they joined the ministry, God ministered to them, now he has a daughter. First grandchild that the grandfather, the father will have. A pattern, a pattern. If you read the book of Job chapter one, you will see a pattern. Satan was attacking Job and there was a pattern there. Every time the attack came in, there will always be one survivor that will come back and bring the news and say, I only, I have escaped. I only, I have escaped. There's a pattern. You know, the devil is behind this thing. You walk, you walk, you never reach a one-year mark or two-year mark. There's a pattern. You walk, you're enjoying the walk, all of a sudden there's a pattern. Something, once there's a pattern like that in any specific area, you understand it straight away. That Satan is at work. Though it's manifesting naturally, but Satan is at work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. But when the wind blows, it blows the forces of darkness away. It blows the forces of darkness away. When the wind blows, God gives you the wisdom to process or reprocess. God opens your eyes. You see that some people around you are not supposed to be around you. Some people beside you are not supposed to be beside you. God opens your eyes to see. Let me explain something to you. I'm going to close with this. Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. Let me explain it to you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. Going to close. Have you been blessed tonight? Yes. Now look at what Joshua 1 verse 3 says. It says, every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon, I've given you. So, every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon, you are the one moving. God has given it to you. Then verse 5 now says something. It says, no man, and I want you to note one word there. No man shall be able to stand where? All right, so let's look at it together. What does before you mean? Because Think about it. Against you. Against you, in front of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. In front of you. So he's saying, every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon, I've given you. So as you're trying to tread upon new land or new places, reach new heights, he said, nobody will be able to stand in front of you. I have already given you, I've ordained it that you will have victory over anybody that stands where? But this scripture doesn't say that you have victory over the ones that stand behind you. Or about the one beside you. The reason why he didn't say that is because natural tendency is that when you see somebody standing in front of you, you automatically know they are enemies. But the one that's standing behind you, you assume they are friends. <laughs> but they might not be friends. They might be working against you. And the one standing beside you that you think you are partners in this, and I'm not talking about husband and wife. Husband and wife are partners. The one that you standing beside you that you think are partners in progress might not be partners in progress. What the only way you can know is by God opening up your eyes. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Amen. Yeah. You see, let, let, let me help you. Let me help you here. Herod married the wife of his brother, Philip. The, she has a daughter called Herodias. Herod loved John the Baptist. He respected, I should say, respected John the Baptist, honored him, didn't want to kill him. You remember the story? Yes. Matthew chapter 14. But it was his birthday. Herodias, the daughter, came and danced. Danced and danced and danced and danced and danced. And Herod said, I'll give it up to half my kingdom because there were guests there. Listen very carefully. The girl should have named what she wanted. She was the one that did the dancing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She did the dancing. She carried favor from the king. She got the blank check from the king. The mistake she made was that she went to ask her mom, which... She thought her mom would advise her correctly. But the mom had a hidden agenda of her own pain. 
She hated John the Baptist. She was looking for an opportunity. So she said, go and tell the man that the head of John the Baptist should be given to me on the platter of gold. On the platter, which they did. Now listen very carefully. That girl lost out. Because she did not need the head of John the Baptist. It was the mother that did not dance. That got the reward. May somebody else not get your reward. You got to be careful about the counsel that people are giving you to make sure that it's not something that benefits them and does not benefit you that have done the work. This is why the wind is to blow. When the wind blows, he exposes enemies around you that are pretending to be friends. Let us pray. Stand on your feet. Let's give God praise tonight. <laughs> Let's give God praise tonight.